0: Hi guys, this is April Scheffler. Uh, today's guest is Adeli Morales, and of all the guests that I've interviewed so far, she's the one that I uh, knew the least. And all I knew about her was that she was a firewalking instructor, and that in itself, I was like, I'm gonna ask. <laughs> If I can have her on my show because I know next to nothing about firewalking, and the whole concept sounded very intriguing. Um, I had seen her on a a Zoom meeting and had just enough interaction to know that uh, she felt uh, she seemed to be a very well-spoken, articulate, um, thoughtful person, and so perfect kind of guest that I want on this show. And the thing that made her the most perfect guest is that she was a willing guest. Um, She, As soon as I sent out the invite, she said yes. And so I was like, great. I didn't have to twist any arms (laughs) or anything like that. So I want to bring you this fantastic episode about firewalking. And I had told my partner, yesterday that because I knew this guest the least, I was kind of doubtful that the interview would take very long, um, especially in comparison to the other uh, interviews that I've done. Uh, well, as you will see, the uncut version was close to two hours, and it just says a lot about how unrushed and unhurried the conversation felt, and you'll be able to hear that I felt incredibly comfortable with her because I go into some uh, rather deep introspections, and uh, so anyway, I. I won't keep you waiting any longer. I know you're going to enjoy uh, this interview. Thanks for joining me in Chefy's Sandbox. I'm April Scheffler, and I invite you to play with me and my guest today, Adeli Morales. Welcome Adeli. Hi. Well, in this segment we pop into a virtual coffee house before hitting the beach. And being the benevolent host that I am, your order is on me. So what order are you giving the barista?
1: Hmm. Let's see. Well, you know what? Coffee with cream. That's just um, simple that way.
0: So I had considered getting rid of this uh, segment before, but then I was thinking about even as um, I guess trite as it might be, it kind of sets the scene for ceremony. Like any uh ceremony where you sit down with someone, you know, it usually includes a beverage. So I have my coffee as well.
1: I do so. too. <laughs> it's how we break bread, right?
0: It is. And so I, you know, I approach these with uh, something, you know, akin to uh, respect that I would give a, a ceremony because I appreciate your time and I'm, uh, I know I'm going to uh, get a lot out of the conversation, so.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm really excited to to be with you and uh, to get to do this.
0: Well, now that you have your beverage, uh, let's dive right in. Sounds great. Uh, this next segment, I usually call it the litmus test, and it was very tongue-in-cheek saying we only allow unfamous people on this podcast Uh, And that we needed to determine if you met that bar or not. Uh, So what would be your claims to fame? But I think another way I want to uh, possibly approach this in a different way uh, and put it in a different perspective is I love uh, the poem, Our Deepest Fear by Marianne Williamson. And it basically says in there, um, you're playing small does not serve the world. So there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. And we're all meant to shine as children do. Mm-hmm. It's part of that poem. Yeah. And so instead of trying to like play it down, I'm just going to ask you, um, yeah, what, what are some big ways that you've been able to shine that maybe people have uh, seen or heard you before and just didn't know?
1: Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> that's, by the way, one of my favorite poems. And early in my um, spiritual journey, which was also my healing journey, I came across that poem, and it it was it was sobering because I had played small for so long in my life. And um, it, I almost felt like that gave me the permission to just go and be and do and play and be bigger in this world. And so i um <clears throat> I'm a firewalk instructor. I, um I'm, I'm on the Warrior Goddess leadership team and uh, doing a lot in that, um, in that community. Um, I recently left corporate America to pursue my own coaching practice. Uh, and yeah, and also you know, I've started a book called Dessert First Parenting, which really um, shares the experiences that I've had with my daughters being a single mom and using some of the shamanic and Toltec practices that I've learned along my journey in raising them and how, how, that, uh, how it's influenced my parenting in a lot of ways.
0: So guests are asked to choose a word or phrase that they would like to hear used more often in everyday conversation, something that doesn't get enough play or enough airtime. And the prior guest chose impact. So impact. you are tasked... Yep, impact. So you are tasked to try to somehow fit that into our conversation today.
1: Okay. And now you
0: also get to choose a word for the next guest to dance with. Okay. It could be a peculiar word that you find funny or something that just resonates with you. So what are you laying down for our next guest to pick up?
1: I am. So I want to make an impact in the world and, and wanting to make an impact, especially in corporate America. And one of the places that I see that really needs some healing is um, in leadership, and that's being heart, becoming heart-centered. Heart-centered leaders is what will really make an impact in our world today. And so my word choice is heart-centered.
0: Let's have you talk about your name. Um, I had to clarify how to pronounce your name, and you told me uh, a neat little A device for remembering uh how to pronounce your name so would you okay
1: sure Sure. absolutely so years ago when I was still in corporate America I was a corporate trainer and um I, I would find that often my name would be um Mispronounced, And so uh, especially when I did a six week training, um, like for new hires and things like that, I would always start out with my name is a deli, like a deli sandwich. So you'll never forget it. And um, that kind of stuck. And it's kind of been a joke ongoing with with friends. And, and you know, so I often introduce myself that way. You know, when people are, you know, are struggling with the enunciation of my name, I'll tell them it's a deli, like a deli sandwich. And they'll look at me and their face lights up and they're like, are she serious? And I always smile and laugh at it. But it's, um, you know, a fun way to remember my name. And I found that it made an impact. And uh, sometimes the, the class would joke and say, oh, is it time for lunch yet? <laughs> so it, it was just a way to lighten it all up.
0: So how did, how did you get your name? Who named you?
1: My mom did. My mom says, you know, I always used to joke with her and say, you know, did they give you too many drugs during labor? You know, why did you name me this? And so she said that she always loved the name Adele and, um, and, and but she felt that that was an old lady name. So she felt like adding the extra E or two, there's actually two E's on the end. So it's spelled A-D-E-L-E-E. She felt that that made it seem younger and more unique. And I think I've only met one other, Adele, and she lives in uh, London. She actually reached out to me on Facebook.
0: Okay, probably because she typed in her own name and then (laughs) was like shocked to see that there was someone else.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, I I haven't always liked my name. I think that's part of my life medicine is uh, just trying to get comfortable with it. And, um, it's one of those names that I don't hear a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but then, uh, it seems like everyone has at least one April or more in their life. Mm
1: -hmm. I do. I have, um, one of my best friends, actually, (laughs) we were pregnant together when I was pregnant with my first daughter and we swapped delivery dates. So I was due, um, I was due August 2nd and she was due July 24th and my daughter was born on July 24th and her daughter was born on August 2nd so she was not happy that she was that late but her name was April and her her birthday was in August which i found so odd is your birthday also in April
0: it is not is it's that not. no, <laughs> no. It, i was born in June
1: so interesting that is so interesting you're the second person i've met who is named April and doesn't have a b- birthday in April and my birthday is April 1st so <laughs>
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, um, my mom she loved spring mornings, and rather than call me spring morning because it sounded a little bit too, uh, I don't know, new agey, then <laughs> she's, she's like, let me call her April Dawn, and so oh. that's that's um, uh, what it came to be. That it was going to be that, or my dad wanted his name is Bruno. Um, you know, cause he comes. Uh, we have German and and Polish. Um, roots, and anyway, he was going to name me after himself, and he wanted to call me either Brunetta or Brunessa. So, uh, considering the alternative, I guess I'm pretty good with
1: April. (laughs) I love April, Dawn, that's so beautiful. The significance behind it, that's so beautiful. And like you, I too struggled, you know, my whole. Oh, my whole adolescence and into adulthood to accept my name as a little girl. I remember begging my mom to let me legally change my name to Barbara. Now why Barbara? I don't know, but I loved the name Barbara (laughs) when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, But I've come to terms with Adele and actually it's been, been a big part of my whole healing journey is to really learn who Adele is and, um, what, what lights her up and what makes her shine and how she can make an impact in in the world. Um, and so, yeah, I've come to terms with, you know, Adele. I love it.
0: I feel like I'm just at the beginnings of that journey. And so I'm eager to find out like what were some turning points for you that, uh, you know, helped you along that, um, so let's. Uh, I have a lot of questions about the firewalking and the uh, work uh, shaman uh, website that I saw that you had and the the book. But let's. I just want to let you start your story where you feel like it starts. Like, um, yeah, where do you feel like you want to begin?
1: Wow. Okay. So. Um... I was born in Illinois and, um, I am first generation American. My dad is from Mexico and my mom was from the Rio Grande Valley. So, um, you know, on my dad's side, I'm the first generation to be an American. And what's interesting is my daughters are also first generation cause their dad was from Algeria. And I got married very early. I got married at 19 and I was in that marriage for 16 years. And, um, it was not a, a healthy marriage at all. Um, it was uh, very mentally abusive and emotionally abusive, and so I was. So I was born Catholic and raised Catholic, and then um, I married a Muslim man, and I was really—I've always been a seeker, really seeking spirituality and um, really wanting, thirsting for more. And around the time that I got married, I was still seeking. And so he asked me to consider Islam and I did. I I considered it. I I looked into it. I got a Quran, read it, it just didn't resonate with me. So I decided on non-denominational Christianity. And so the deeper I got into it, um, one day I realized, you know, I don't like who I've become. I felt very judgmental and critical of other people. And I thought, who am I to do this? And so I set on a quest um, for, for about eighteen months, and I'd get up every morning around four or five and spend time with the Bible and really read um, what is love? And what I started to notice is that the way I was in life was not love, and I wanted, I wanted more love in my life and so I started to uh, seek different you know, avenues of spirituality. And about that time I stumbled, I remember my, my youngest daughter was about 18 months old and she's now, uh, 15. Um, and so I stumbled upon a a church that was really also seeking and, uh, digging to learn, learn different things. And so, um, I still call him my spiritual dad. He, um, has since passed several years ago, but, um, he encouraged us to meditate. He encouraged us to read books that, that were different in denomination. And um, that's how I stumbled upon the Ruiz family, Dominguez Ruiz, Two and Four Agreements. And that book changed my life. And that kind of was uh, one of the first stepping stones that took me on my journey. Um, so 16 years into that marriage, I decided, <clears throat> well, it was actually more like 14 years into that marriage, I was really thinking, is this working? Um, And I would look at how I was in life and then look around at uh, the other women and the generations in my life. And um, I realized that's not what I really wanted. And the question I really asked was, how am I going to make an impact for my daughters? Do I want my daughters to be in this type of relationship? And I'm noticing it's a pattern in our family. Do I want them to have that sort of life? And I realized I'm the only one who can make an impact on that and heal that going forward. So, um, about that time, I I had a friend who was turning 45 and her husband paid for her and 10 girlfriends to go on a all expense paid cruise. And so I went and I committed to myself that I'd get up every morning at around 6am so I could go spend time with the sun sunrise and journal and spend time with spirit seeking guidance. And after the first day, I knew what I was going to have to do. And I still got up every single day to go and, and uh, spend time and meditate and be sure. So this was a October, November timeframe, almost time for the holidays. And I decided to wait until um, after February, because we had a lot of family stuff between November and February. And um, then I, I'd, I'd say, okay, look, I, I need a divorce. And I did. It was a hard time. Um, and I, I was faced with a lot of rejection from my family and his family. And, um, but I, I knew it was what I needed to do if I was going to live the life that I really wanted to live. Fulfilled, impactful, um, and a role model for my daughters. And so I went through with that. And about a month before the divorce was final... I had an accident where I fell on a glass on top of my hand and I cut eight tendons of my hand. <clears throat> and the surgeon said, you know, you'll be lucky if you get 65% use of your hand back. And I was like, "Oh, watch me." And so I committed myself to doing all of the therapy possible and I took up art, I took up more seriously art, art and drawing. Um I had Always kind of had the gift, but I didn't really acknowledge it until then and so I took it up as my therapy and um later went on to publish a coloring book I published a coloring book I guess it was two or three years ago three years ago um, and it's called unchaining Picasso uh which is a, a dedication to you know the healing that came from drawing in my life and so I also around that well and when that accident happened, I was like. I was fearful. I didn't know how I was going to become a single mom and how I was gonna do it. And the spirit spoke to me in that moment and said Adele, I know you're worried about how you're gonna do this, but you're gonna do this with one hand and me by your side. And so I took it, I just clung to that. And um, it's been a journey. Um, I'm now 10 years t- after the divorce and I've dedicated that whole journey to healing myself, making an impact in leadership, Um, I, I went back to school when I, uh, a couple months after I first got divorced and got my bachelor's in psychology and I had a 4.0 the the entire time. Um, I've gotten several coaching certifications since of course the firewalking certification and spiritual teaching. Um, I, I I got my master's in management and leadership as well. And so I really dedicated myself not only to improving who I was, on um, you know the the credentialing, but also in healing myself within, and uh, now I because of my journey and all the work that I've done, I help other women also heal themselves within from within. A lot of it's through the warrior goddess practices, and um, I, I do a lot of teaching on the warrior goddess practices, and um, I'm also a mentor on the leadership team. So fast forward to today, here we are. I have a 19-year-old who graduated this past year in in 2020, and um, my 15-year-old starts her sophomore year tomorrow.
0: Where did the fire walk uh, practice, uh, you know, get introduced into your life? Okay, Was that on the, during the cruise, did y'all like stop at some exotic port and see that and...
1: No, actually, it it happened in about, I think it was 2011, and I was going to Austin to um, a Be the Change conference. There were several speakers that I had, um, you know, encountered and wanted, they were going to be there, and I thought, you know, I really want to go. And so I registered, and I was heading out to Austin, and I met a friend for lunch on the way. And he said, "Let me look at that itinerary." And I showed it to him. He's like, "Ooh, fire walk tonight!" And I was like, "I looked at him. I, I, didn't, I didn't. I hadn't even noticed that there was a fire walk. And now on this side of it, I wonder if I would have even have gone, um, you know, knowing that there was a fire walk." So um, he said, "Are you going to walk?" And I said, "I don't know." And he's like, "Oh, I know you will." Um, he he knew there was an adventurous side to me. Uh, you know, a few months before that, I'd gone skydiving, and so. Um, he, he knew that there was that adventure side of me. Um, but then I, I thought about it the entire way there, like the firewalk, what is that? And, um, you know, I'd heard of it in some remote TV show, I think, but I didn't really think about it. So I sat through the firewalking course and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to walk. And I just felt pulled by the fire and when I walked across fire, I was like, I actually walked across fire and it felt really good. And um, from that moment on, <clears throat> I was super, super intrigued by fire. Fire is my element. And I guess in that moment, fire and I had a a real love relationship. And um, I have to be, but ba- it's so much so that I have to balance myself with other elements, because if I get too fiery, everybody knows what happens <laughs> when you get too fiery. So um yeah, it was that first fire walk in 2011. And I knew there was something there. And so that was with my teacher, Heather Ash Amara. And um, I had already been reading some of her books and she's actually the author of The Warrior Goddess. I was a, a member of that before it was even Warrior Goddess. It was 13 moons before that. and. Um, a couple of years, about 18 months later, she announced that she was going to have her first firewalk certification in Teotihuacan, which is uh, outside of Mexico City where the pyramids are. And I had already gone with her on, on a couple occasions uh, for retreats. And when I heard firewalking in Teotihuacan, I was in, I, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know, how, I, I didn't know anything, but I knew I had to be there. And um, that was life changing for me. Um, that whole experience of going through firewalking school and the growth um, that, that I saw in the women that were there. Well, we had, it was all women and one man. And the growth and um, the impact it made in all of our lives, even to this day, uh, I keep in touch with a lot of those people that I went through firewalk certification with and Um, Here we are over seven years later and still in touch and the fire still continues to breathe life into us and it it impacts me in many, many ways. It's an element that I've been able to incorporate to so many things through through moon ceremony, um, through fire walking, you know, for a new decade, just so much that the fire walk does. And yeah, so it's become kind of a part of my life. It's funny because girl, my girls have gone on retreat with me, and they they're drawn to the fire as well. They'll do cartwheels <laughs> over the fire. So,
0: yeah. Well, let me ask you how how often uh, do you have fire walk?
1: Um, so here in Houston, I've had a couple. There, it's not easy to find locations that are willing to like. It's not too socially accepted. Um, so right. Maybe- That's what
0: I was wondering. Like. Where you know how often, often? Like, are you having to like make your own fire in your backyard?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could make my, your own uh,
0: opportunities. I,
1: I I wish I could in my backyard. I am currently. My backyard has a huge swimming pool, so there's no room for a fire walk. Um, but I do have uh, some friends uh, that are out out in the country who will allow me to use their their uh, land on occasion. Their land is so beautiful. They have two horses that are rescues and those horses, I, I mean, one, one of the fireworks that I did there, one of the horses just laid down as we set up to to walk, it laid down just to watch us. And it was just so incredible. Because it, they told me that this horse typically is very shy and timid and to itself. And so you know, to see that a, a firewalk could actually impact an animal like that—it was just beautiful. Um, so, typically, personal property. I've done a lot more firewalks in Austin. It's a lot more accepted in that area, and there's people who are much more willing to have um, a firewalk. Um, I, I so the, the the ladies that allow me to use their property. Um, they don't mind the scorched land. So I don't have to protect the grass. They, they actually prefer it and it grows back fairly quickly. Um, and then the coals are just sustenance for plants and it just, they flourish with the coals um, when you add them to, you know, to just the, the ground. Uh, so their plants all look amazing. Um, In Austin, there was a daycare that allowed us to use their grounds, but they did want us to protect the ground. So we use fireboard and and sod to help protect the ground. Uh, It makes for tough cleanup. But um, at the same time, you know, they were able to use the coals on their own. They have compost and gardens that they used in that in that setting. And so they found it really beneficial to have the hot coals there. So if anybody in the Houston area is willing, I I would love to use your land for firewalking.
0: Probably one of the questions you get often is why would someone want to walk on fire?
1: Why would somebody want to walk on fire? Um, It's life-changing, I will say. um, When you walk across... A bed of hot coals, you have done what seems to your brain as impossible. And in our lives, we try to pursue so many things that seem impossible at times. And once you once you've done that, you've done the impossible, it also opens your mind to what else can I do in this world. And it's empowering, it makes a huge impact in the in the way that, you know, it opens up your your mind to say, That was mind blowing. I actually walked on hot coals and and I didn't get burned. And I lived, I survived it. And I saw that that was a real fire. Um, What else can I do in this world? Um, Go go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say that um, I guess up to this point, I hadn't personally felt um, a draw to do any type of fire walk, but I had heard a podcast in which, um, Alex Gray and his wife, I believe his na- uh, her name is Ann, they were uh, extolling the virtues of a firewalk, saying that, you know, after you've done it, like you're thinking to yourself, I can do anything. Like
1: mm-hmm. a-
0: this, um, this huge thing of like walking on fire. I did that, you know, mm-hmm. Th- there's nothing I can't do because, and I guess it goes back to that impossibility factor that you're talking about, uh, because you, as you mentioned, you had already jumped out of an airplane, and so it's not as though this is simply just an adrenaline uh, search, because you can get that other ways, but I think um, jumping out of an airplane with a chute, uh, there's not that impossibility um, factor. Mm-hmm. Like, So I think maybe... Am I touching on part of the difference between a firewalk and other types of?
1: Yeah, Other types of adrenaline, um, activities. Yes. Um, so for me jumping out of an airplane, which I've done a couple of times is very different. Um, you know, you've got to shoot to me. That was, you're right. More of an adrenaline rush, um, it's actually one of the most beautiful views that you see, you know, just jumping out and looking at land like that and the experience of floating. Um, it was great, but I still feel like, and, and somebody who is an air sign might get a lot out of that, you know, whole spiritual experience or, um, you know, just an experience in general. But for me, the fire, the energy that the fire gives me um is pretty powerful because a lot of times when you walk you set an intention and so let 's say for example, I set the intention that i want to um, i want to uh, find peace inner peace or inner healing uh, 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 other reasons to walk would include healing some people do heal for uh, walk for uh physical healing um and I have a story about that uh, and so I, I find that walk, fire walking gives you a different energy you know. So you, you take on the energy of the fire and every fire has a different energy. I've noticed you have had some that are mama bear energies. I've had some that are like, um, spitfire energy, you know, just, it, it really just depends. And really, I truly have a dream of making an impact in the corporate world to have fire walks, whether it be for sales conferences or for team building or leadership. Um, because I, I think that working with fire in that realm could be very uh, empowering to people. And so there's an energy that you take on from walking. Like you said, you've done the impossible. And so now you know it, it pulls you up to a higher vibration to say, what else can I do in this world?
0: I told one of my uh, friends that I'd be uh, interviewing you. And she was like, oh, that is so awesome. She said that she had done two uh, fire walks before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I'm going to read a, a quote of what she told me. She said, I'm so grateful for the experience. It really made it so clear to me how much life is just a dream. And we can step into another layer of reality at any point. My feet were never burned. It was like stepping into a parallel reality. I don't really know how to explain it, but I truly believe we have powers beyond what we think is possible. I've experienced some crazy things that tell me this is true. And so she later said that, uh, uh, I think it allows us to cultivate power so that they can emerge into reality in moments of urgency. Uh, I've experienced things that shouldn't be possible. And it has shown me that reality can bend. So that's part of her uh, experience uh, around fire walking.
1: Yeah. I love that because um, it, it reminds me of some of the Toltec practices that I've learned. And one of them is called shape shifting. And so, you know, reality bending is sh- shape shifting into, you know, what is, what is it you want to manifest or, um, you know, Heather Ash has always taught me um, get comfortable with the discomfort of not knowing what's next and trusting and for me adding on and trusting that universe is conspiring with me to manifest what it is I want to manifest and um, to not get anxious because I, I, I and I'm doing this with my daughter too she's pursuing a music career and um, she gets really anxious about it and wants everything yesterday and it's about the journey. Our journey is the whole reason why we're here. It's not the means to an end. It's the journey that we're here to flourish with. And, um, you know, firewalking does give you that insight as to the miraculous and to, you know, the everything that life has to offer. One of my favorite things, it, it's my favorite on this side, but it wasn't going through one of my favorite experiences in fire walking school was, um, initiation day and initiation day, you end up spending time alone with the fire. Um, and that day I was like, I don't know if I'm going to walk. And so that day was so intense and all of the instructors were at each other. There was wind and high, high winds, and we were trying to contain that fire. And, I had um, an ash fly into my eye, hot ash, and I was pissed off. I was like, what am I doing here? I kept questioning myself, like, what am I doing here? Why, why did I come to fire walking school to begin with? And I was angry at the fire. And um, I said, I'm not walking. I'm done. I, I, this is it as far as I'm concerned. This, you know, I was having this argument with the fire and the fire was like, nope, you're going to walk. And I'm like, I'm sitting here talking to a fire. No, I'm not, you know. <laughs> and so um then it came time to draw our numbers and you know, determine the order of who was gonna go first and last and second and all that. And of course, guess guess what number I picked? Number one. Absolutely, <laughs> as universe would have it. I was number one. I was so angry. And I was like, fine. And so I, I you know patted out the coals and spent the time with fire. I was still really angry at the fire. <laughs> And um, she, I say she, because it felt like a, a, a she energy. She was like, come on, you're walking. And when I walked, I did burn myself and I was so upset. It hurt so bad. And I was like, just completely defeated. Um, I was like, I, I just don't know if I chose to do the right thing. And um, we went, uh, another firewalk instructor and I went walked the little village and that night I went to bed and, um, I, I just, I had some lavender oil. So I put that on the, on the, on the, what we call fire kisses and went to bed that night. And the next morning I knew that my eye was going to be excruciating and I, I, I did not know what to expect when I woke up. So when I woke up, I was like, huh, I blinked several times. And I was like, my eye is fine. And then I, I felt my foot and I thought that was a bad burn. It's going to be there. And it was gone. And I was like, oh, hmm. so we had been taught to look at uh, the um, reflexology chart to see where that burn ha- happened and where in your body it may have healed. And when I looked at the reflexology chart, it showed me that that was the spot for the eye where I had been burned. And the fire taught me so much in that moment. It taught me humility, number one, because it was teaching me. And number two, it taught me that it also heals physically. Had I not experienced that, I probably wouldn't have the testimony that I have that it does heal people on on a physical and health-wise. you know, wise. So that was a, an amazing experience that I had.
0: But I was just thanking you for this uh, story or that aspect that someone can get burned by these fires like they're real because Mm -hmm. the skepticism that I'm bringing to almost everything says like yeah you know how real the
1: fire is it if it's not burning somebody (laughs) (laughs) oh it's hot it's hot and it can burn you um, I've had other burns. Uh, there was one burn that I experienced as when I was tending. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into the fire. So you've got to have people tending the fire. You've got to have the facilitator facilitating, um, preferably two to three tenders, um, you know, depending on the size of the fire. Uh, but I, I burned my arm at one point and that burn took probably a year or two to heal. Um, I still kind of have a somewhat scar, but, it, it is a very real fire, and I've had it burn through my gene, through my genes at, at times. Um, it is very real, uh, but the teachings that it has to offer um, are just at a soul level.
0: And that's why you, you keep going back to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it, it just – fire moves my soul at, at such a deep level.
0: Well, let me ask you about um... – why the corporate world? Um, what is it about uh, people working together day in and day out um, and the dynamics there that draws you in?
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I spent uh, probably about 25 years of my life in corporate America in roles uh, in leadership and training and uh, instructional design and just coaching people. I love nurturing people. As a leader, I feel that I'm there to serve my employees. Um, most recently, I had a team of over 50 people that I, I supported. And um, I was a director and And I worked for years to create a, an environment. It was in contact center and contact center typically has a bad rap for being a sweatshop and not caring for their employees. And I wanted to I wanted to transform and make a huge impact in that that environment. And I was able to, I was able to, attrition in contact centers is typically 35 to 40%. I, um, national average at the time was 14% and my uh, attrition rate was at 12%. And so I'd really created an environment where people felt nurtured and felt seen and felt like they belonged and that um, their work was valued and appreciated. I don't see that in a lot of workplaces. I personally did not receive that from my own leadership. And it it, it saddens me because people spend so much of their time at the workplace. And to not feel valued, to not feel appreciated, to uh, to not feel like you belong or contribute it is horrible to feel that way, and, and you spend most of your life there. Um, and and at my deepest desire is to transform leaders into being heart-centered leaders and to make an impact on people's lives because you appreciate them and not to demand from them or feel like they owe you something because they work for you. That's really what um, drove me to leave corporate America, And pursue, you know, the workplace shaman and build it and really help develop leaders as a coach. I've also recently applied for my um, PCC, which is my professional coach certification through the ICF, the International Coach Federation. And they're one of the few um, organizations that regulate coaching and have they also have the highest uh, leveling of credentials. And so wanting to move into that executive coaching role and into corporate America, um, you know, I have a dream that firewalking will be a common thing and help leaders really connect with their center and um, impact how they care for people.
0: So if someone else, you know, has, I guess what you would call like a, a bleeding heart, um, and they want to help, what would be some ways that they could, um, like what were some of the steps that you took to get where you are now that are like concrete ways that they could um, both find tools to empower others and to uh, make a living uh, from those uh, credentials or those tools? Because what I feel like sometimes is even though, You know, if you're an empath or just a caring person and you see, like, how things in the workplace could be better and that people aren't appreciated for what they bring. uh, Sometimes that just uh, translates over into, uh, you know, drinking after work to try and relax, you know, or get into an altered state where you kind of forget about that stuff until the next morning. Or, you know, it can also translate into bitterness and uh, just uh, people talking, you know, behind other people's backs, Mm, which is also kind of can be counterproductive. Whereas uh, even though you might have a sense of uh, people are in this with me, you know, it's also just kind of spreading poison too. like it's not helping anybody even though you know you're not alone so how do you know what i'm saying how do people take that step to get tools and then nurture that in such a way that they are actually respected and sought out for those leadership um you know or coaching tools
1: yeah um You know, one of the first tools that I uh, came across was uh, the Four Agreements. And the Four Agreements was really the the first pivotal book that shifted me. And the the Four Agreements, if you don't know, the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. And impeccability means, uh, you know, they talk about white magic in there or black magic. And the use of gossip is considered black magic. Um, Because, you know, when you're talking badly about another, you're really talking badly about yourself in in that regard, too. Um, Because typically what we what we what we go out there and spread or what bothers us about ourselves is really what was reflected in another. And um, so be impeccable with your word. Also, how you talk about yourself, you know, the self-talk. Oh, I'm so stupid. You know, no, be impeccable. Who who do you want to be and speak about yourself in that way? Um, not taking anything personally, that was super critical. Um, and that's hard to do because, you know, um, somebody cuts you off in traffic. What's the first thing you think of? You know, why are they doing that to me? Oh, it's not really what it, what, and I love how Don Miguel voice says it. He says, um, what people do is not about you. It's about them. And then um, not making assumptions. You know, it, it, you know, we we're talking about communication earlier. Not making assumptions about what somebody's the message that they're trying to to you know relay to you. Um, ask questions. Be willing and have the courage to ask the hard questions. And then always do your best. And honoring that your best will be different on a day that you're not feeling well or you're tired, as opposed to a day that you feel your best and super energetic. So. Um, honoring all of that is super important. And so that's where I started. I started on the four agreements within my life. And then as I was creating groups of leaders, I would, um, everybody who ever reported to me, read the four agreements with me. And it allowed us to be vulnerable. And that's what's missing in the workplace is that vulnerability to be who you are, come as you are, and allow others to show up as well. There's a full package of who they are, not telling them to leave their feelings at the door, not telling them to leave their experiences, their human experiences at the door. That full package is what brings the vulnerability that that is needed in the workplace. Um, Not treating people like machines. That's super important. I I think that it starts with self-leadership. Self-leadership is the key to leadership because you can't lead yourself and if you can't you know, live out those four agreements for yourself, then why would you expect anybody else to?
0: I liked the uh, part that you said, um, where you need to be impeccable with your word, even with your self-talk. So um, I think for, (laughs) for me, the idea of ever calling myself a coach, and I don't necessarily think that that's what I'm called to do, but for me, uh, being a coach is uh, quite a leap. Of that would be a very affirmative statement for me, where um, because anytime that you put a label on yourself, like I'm this or I'm that coach, kind of signifies that I have an answer or the answer, and in order for like a teacher, you know, like I'm a coach, I have at least one aspect of life down pat where other people can go to me for answers. And so that so to be able to get to that point where I would be setting myself up for potential haters mm-hmm. to say, you know, who are you to say, you know, you have anything down pat enough to call yourself a coach or tell me, you know, helpful tips on how to do life better. Um, That would be a very healthy place. I think where um, you're acknowledging maybe you don't have everything down pat, but you know what uh, the path has worked to get you to the places you've wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And Uh, what how would you how do you feel about the title coach
1: um and I I can see I can see your point of view um as a coach uh you know when I turned 40 I had to apologize to my mom I said mom you know when I was 22 I knew everything and now that I'm turning 40 I know a lot less and so I want to apologize to you for being the know-it-all that I was in my 20s and um as a coach, I don't have the answers, but what I do know is that all of my clients are sovereign beings, they're they're not broken, they don't need fixing, they have all the answers within. I just help cultivate those answers. I come to them with questions that help them think through what it is they're working through because And I I truly believe that instinctively we all have the answers within. And sometimes we just need some guidance to help us draw them out. And as a coach, I don't have the answers and I can't live your experience as, as, as a human being, because I'm, I'm living my own. Um, I can definitely draw on my experiences if that's what you want. But when I'm coaching people, I ultimately know that they have all the answers and it's just helping draw those answers out for them and give them clarity through the conversations that we have.
0: Well, when I saw that um, uh, one of the links that you sent me was to your uh, work shaman um, website, Mm -hmm. um, I had this funny uh, mental picture come up (laughs) When when I saw that, and what I was thinking is that, uh, you, you know, what a, that workspace would look like is that everyone's kind of more clustered together um, by their strengths and how they w- would work together as a team. Everyone has like specific crystals, uh, you know, <laughs> tailored to them on their desk and like a specific mala with like the perfect mantra for them up on their the wall of their cubicle you know and they have like specific uh essential oils there on their desk that they can splash themselves with whenever they're feeling a little low but i'm like i need to ask you (laughs) what does that look like when a work shaman has has uh, come through your your workspace and uh you know, helped to partner with your employees. What does that actually look like? Yeah. I don't think that's what it looks like.
1: <laughs> no, although I did use oils and essential oils in my office quite quite frequently, um, and I, I had my own crystals, but uh, that's just me, right? And so um, the workplace shaman is really about going in and healing sick work environments. Are you experiencing um, a lot of attrition? Are you experiencing people gossiping in the workplace? Are you having uh, high attrition rates? Are people's morale just not there? Um, because those are all symptoms of a bigger an underlying issue. And so really with a workplace shaman going through and, and really I, the reason why I did that was because I felt like I when in corporate America. I felt like I had to hide a lot of my own spirituality. And so I felt like I was in a spiritual closet for, for some time and um, putting the workplace shaman out there because I've done so much work with shamans and because, um, you know, the four agreements is from a Toltec tradition, um, and they were the shamans who, you know, built the pyramids, and I, I chose the workplace shaman because the shaman were healers, they were artists, they were teachers, they were sages, and, you um, you know, seeing a, a workplace shaman going in and helping heal situations. And that's what I did in a lot of my career. I went in, I was called I, I was in performance improvement for many years. And so I would be called in to help fix broken processes. And so I, I was called in as a director when I took on the last rule, I was called in to help heal that environment. And um, you know, I looked up one day and I was like, oh wow. I am kind of a workplace shaman because I go in and help teams heal. I help them heal the processes. I help them. That was the the role I took on in corporate America. And so that's where the workplace shaman came in. It doesn't really have anything to do with going in and burning sage to to help cleanse the, the air or anything like that. It's really about, let's take a look at what's happening in this workplace and what's the root cause of it. Does, do leaders need more training? Do, do we just need to bring in a human aspect into this workplace to not treat people like, like slaves or like they don't matter? They're not important. Um, there's some leaders who just refuse to thank their employees. And I, I've worked for those people. And to work for them, they feel like, well, I don't need to give compliments. That's what they're here to do. Well, people want to be, feel. people do more when they feel valued and when they feel like they're contributing members of the team. And so I I feel that that's super important.
0: For sure. I, I just think that that's, I'm just feeling appreciative of you going into what I consider the trenches. And like you mentioned before, this is where we're spending most of our time awake our waking moments is at work and often what's a a toxic environment and so for you to um you know roll up your sleeves and dig into uh, a lot of layers of you know you have different personalities different people different power plays um i i think that's really commendable for you to try and heal there because um I know from I've worked a lot of different places, some that were healthier than others, and yeah, when you feel appreciated and seen, it does make life so much better, and like the pay is one, but if even if you're you know compensated fairly, if you're going you know into a place where you physically feel sick, don't want to be there you're around people who are not building each other up, then it takes a, a giant toll as opposed to going into a workplace where, uh, again, maybe the sometimes you're even willing to go without as much monetary compensation because of the fantastic health and spirit and soul help that, not, that simply not being in a toxic work environment provides, you know, you just go through life feeling healthier and you don't come as home as burdened with, um, trash that you unload on your family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because, you know, being on the bottom of the totem pole, you just take and take and take. And then finally, when you get home and, you know, we are the kings and queens of our own castle you know you uh there is that and let me just speak for myself (laughs) (laughs) you know there's there's been a tendency to feel like okay now I can release when that's not what your family needs they don't need you releasing or uh, doing that release that venting valve into the family space they need that to be the place where everyone can you know, rejuvenate and heal and put a perspective yeah, from the sure. day. So, yeah, I think that's a, a challenge. And I definitely appreciate your, you know, your efforts in that field. Well, thank there. you.
1: And there is a place on my website um, for anybody who has a, a workplace story that they'd love to share. Um, I'm willing to keep it confidential and just use the scenario. Uh, but, yeah, I I do have a passion for healing those sorts of environments and, um, and, and, you know, just building awareness. I know right now with all that's going on in our world, we're hearing, hearing a lot more about, um, teaching employees, anti-racism and, um, really, you know, calling out any microaggressions or macroaggressions in the workplace. And, um, you know, this is a key time for all of that to happen and, and, and to heal. I think organizations that aren't looking at it, shame on them because they're going to be the ones that lag behind and, um, yeah, their workforce will suffer for it.
0: All right. So Adele, let's talk about, uh, warrior goddess. Okay. Uh, you said a lot of your, uh, efforts right now are in that space. So can you tell us a little bit more of what that's about?
1: Mm-hmm. So Warrior Goddess is, um, a movement that was started by Heather Ashamara. It was actually, um, I've been doing this work for probably about 10 years now, uh, because I started doing it right around the time that I got divorced. And so back then it was 13 moons and it was a, I would go, go to Austin for different circles. And then, um, we had an online, um, 13 moon circle. And basically it was spending 13 months with her and really, um, Learning about myself, stepping into the authenticity of who I am, taking off all the roles that were assigned to me. So, uh, the Toltecs believe in what's called what they call domestication, and through domestication, um, we're taught that women have to be a certain way. So, some of in some cultures, women have to um, women have to be seen and not heard. Or they um, they have to be sweet and nice, and can't get angry. Or, uh, and it really, it goes against who we are as human beings. We have emotions because we're human beings and we have energy and motion. so that's what emotions are. And um, through the Warrior Goddess program, I've learned how to really navigate who I want to be in this world, and that the roles that I wear, so, so to speak, like being a mom, being a consumer, being a businesswoman, being an employee. Those are all roles that I wear. They're not my identity. And so the identity is the core essence of who I am, that inner light, that fingerprint that brings Adele into this world as deli, not broken because she's, she's, um, she's sure I'm working on healing in different areas. We all are. But I'm not defined by any of those roles. I can be authentically a deli and April can be authentically April and everyone um, has their own authenticity to to walk through and that we can create our own ideas uh, and beliefs of who we want to be. So do I have a right to be angry at times? Yes, I do. Um, How I navigate that anger is also important and how to heal through it and how to unravel the story behind it. Um, so really it's about stepping into authenticity, being empowered. Um, there's a lot of, as far as energetic clearing and um, grounding how to ground and really be uh, self-sufficient, not new, needing approval from outside of myself, but learning how to find my own internal approval and to heal those voices in our heads that you know are judge that send us on on these, rampages into you know self-pity or needing to be in control of everything Um, we fall into these things like it's control it's not control over it's control from within so i can't control anything outside of myself i control myself and the warrior goddess practices really teach how to step into this authenticity and then it also teaches women to nurture and accept and um, encourage one another um, it teaches us not to compete against each other because there's nothing to compete for. If we're just being authentically ourselves, we honor one another. And and that's one thing that I didn't see a lot of growing up is women nurturing each other. I, I often saw women being mean to each other. The mean girl syndrome was so prevalent, especially in the workplace, and um, that I just felt that that's another important part of, of being in corporate America is how do women encourage each other? Women need to step up to leadership roles and from a place of authenticity and not from a place of competition, not from a place of tearing down another to become more than. It's a, a place of cohesion and a place of, of abundance, knowing that there is enough in this world for everybody. And that's where we as women can make a true impact.
0: Right. Without playing small. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So is that still a 13 month program that's available?
1: Um, Well, it's a book now. It's now a book. There's a workbook that goes with it. Um, There are warrior goddess weekend retreats right now, of course, during COVID that those have uh, toned down. But we just had an online summer camp um, last, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Um, there's a nine month ignite program that is now the the 13 months. So it's no longer 13 months. It's nine months.
0: Okay. Excellent. So I will, um, provide the link in the show notes as to, uh, if anyone is, if if anyone is interested, are they able to, uh, submit a interest form and Mm -hmm. if they feel like called to, to join this program?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I also Heather Ash has a warrior goddess web uh, um, Facebook page where she posts quite a bit of information. Um, yeah. There's uh, ways to get connected. Uh, there's going to be a warrior goddess coaching program here really soon uh, that I, I'm playing a part of. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways to get connected with the warrior goddess community.
0: Let's uh, talk about, the uh, parenting book that you have in the works. So congratulations to uh, your oldest on graduating. Um, I know with uh, the COVID, uh, it put a lot a damper on a lot of the senior activities.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but uh, congratulations to her. Thank you. And you said the other one's uh, a sophomore.
1: She, she starts year? her sophomore year tomorrow. Um, one thing about my eldest is she is a musician and the way she dealt with uh, the whole pandemic was through writing music. And she had written a song for her senior class that she was really excited to unveil at pop show. And she had shared it with her choir director and he was like, hey, we we can weave in the, the uh, choir with this and this could now be the senior song every year. He was really excited about it. And so um, she was also going to well she Houston rodeo happened and so she had made it to the semifinals for the Houston rodeo and um the Tuesday before the so she competed in that and made it to the finals the Tuesday before that Wednesday everything was shut down and so um so that kind of you know slipped away from her and so that was a big disappointment um but in that, she says we had gone to Austin and for another competition right before everything shut down, and there um, somebody noticed her and said, "You have to get that song recorded." And so the next very next day, we were in a recording studio getting it recorded, and um, she's launched it on all the platforms now, and it became it became viral. So uh, "May the Road Rise" is the song that she wrote. Um, Lassier, and uh, it's such a touching song because of the time that it came out and the lyrics that are in the in the song um, it, it's just it's such a beautiful testament to how she overcame all of the challenges and obstacles of COVID and she continues to write songs and um, steadily is putting them out on different platforms so um, hats off to her she's really been an encouragement to me um to be so uh, to be so resilient in a time like this, where so much was lost from her, or the, so she experienced so much loss in her senior year. Um, so I'm really proud of her in that sense. Um, yeah, but dessert first parenting, I, I attribute a lot of her resilience to um, you know, I felt as a single mom and growing in, you know, my spirituality, over the years, I feel like we grew together. And so they, them watching me uh, as I did my spiritual practices and still do, they've also adopted some of the spiritual practices that I have used throughout my life. Um, but dessert First Parenting came from when my youngest daughter was in the third grade. She has always been a follow the rule, black or white kind of kid or at least she started out that way. And she was always about coloring in the lines and cutting right perfectly on the lines. Oh, gosh, had to I'm be. already
0: sensing a, uh, a kindred spirit here. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: She was okay, all about, you know, follow the rules, do what you're supposed to. And uh-huh. so she, through that, became, I mean, what parent doesn't think that's a perfect kid, right? Um, but it came to an extreme because she was the self-designated hall monitor. So anytime another kid would be doing something they weren't supposed to, she felt like it was her responsibility to go to the authorities, teachers, or parents, and make sure that they put them on the right track and they were also disciplining them. So she wanted to know how they were being disciplined and how, how they were going to rectify the situation. Mm-hmm. And so her third grade teacher, I had had a parent teacher conference and she says, you know, Ellie's amazing, but I I really, there's something about her that really needs some, some, some correcting. And so she told me the situations and she said, I really want her to kind of mind her own business. Sometimes it's not, it's not up to her to fix everything. And I was like, Oh, how am I going to do this without crushing her little heart? You know, because she means well, Um, but it's it's obviously not not healthy. So um that the next day I was picking them up from school and we were gonna go out to dinner and she was super excited about that. And she was like, Mom, can I have dessert with my with with our dinner? And just then I got this idea from, oh my gosh, this is the answer. And um so I get stuck in my little head about, oh, this is how I'm gonna do it, this is how I'm gonna have that conversation with her. And so she's like, Mom, Mom. I was like, oh, yes, 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 you can have dessert. So we pull into the restaurant, we park, and um, I said, sweetheart, before we go in, I want you to know that it's okay to have dessert today, but you have to have it before dinner. You have to have dessert first. And she was like, what? I cannot have dessert first. People don't do that. And I said, no, we're going to have dessert first today. She's like, Mom, I can't do that. I was like okay, then we're going to go home. We're not going to eat out if you can't have dessert first. She says, but my teachers don't let me do that at school. And I said, but I'm the mom and I'm, you know, I'm bringing you to dinner. And I told you, you have to have dessert first. And so my oldest one, she was like, dessert first. I'm there. She was like, hurry up. What are we waiting for? And, um, Ellie hesitantly went into the restaurant and ordered dessert first. And, we had dessert first that day, and I—that's when I introduced, "Hey, sometimes there's different ways of doing things," and and you know I went into the whole hall monitor, <laughs> um, system and saying, you know, it's not up to you to control everything outside of you, and so that was kind of the beginning of dismantling her domestication, you know, because that's what she had uh, grown to believe that was right and wrong, and so um, that's kind of where I've modeled my dessert first book was that was one of the first things that I decided to do different with my girls. Um, things like rite of passages have become really important in, in their world. Um, so yeah, it's just a a different way of parenting and, uh, you know, helping them build their awareness about things around them.
0: Well, I will definitely be following you on social media to see when that book becomes available. Do you have, a a date
1: that it's planning I, on to I, publish. I don't, but you're you're kind of putting some fire under me to 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 work on it and do more with it. Uh, I don't have I don't have a date yet, and I I have considered doing a book proposal to uh, different uh, editors or, or uh, different publishers. Um, so we shall see.
0: Oh gosh, I just so much of your youngest daughter resonates with me. <laughs> I think that with the whole um what the word wasn't conditioning what was it
1: uh, domestication
0: the domestication part of it for me was um by being not heard I think that that was important because like I would I would be I was so young and I would meet people and they'd be like oh she's so quiet like that was something to be um you know admired like that was a great quality you know oh she's so quiet and and then you know when i would express anger or things like that then you know sometimes i felt like approval was withdrawn you know so like show of any real emotions was frowned upon and with you know affection withheld and so if i were to just be this um i guess this how she was a little, uh, sentinel, you know, Mm -hmm. like the one that's holding the banner of right and wrong, you know, uh, this is the way it's supposed to be done and do it the right way. That was my way of, um, that was probably like the only way I felt there was of getting appropriate, um, attention and, and love was, you know, trying to make the best grades I could, um, doing things the right way versus the wrong way, uh, not e- expressing undesirable emotions, you know, and just keeping that tapped down inside. And I feel like that's, you know, even though probably as a child that made me uh great parent in some ways as opposed to maybe my brother who wasn't uh, afraid to be as vocal (laughs) (laughs) you know but when it comes right down to it I feel like that was a very unhealthy way of being and um, I still have a lot that I'm trying to unpack and unwind from um, that uh, domestication Uh, that domesticating process.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And and it's, and it's nobody's fault, right? It's just how we are as human beings. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And, and, you know, I've, I've come to believe that my parents did the very best they could with the resources and knowledge that they had. And I have a lot of respect for, you know, for my experience and for how they showed up in my experience Um, we can fall into blame. And I know that at some point, probably 15 years ago, I blamed them for where I was and what I was, you know, all of that stuff. And then um, through the four agreements, I had, (laughs) there was one time that I can remember, I wanted to throw the book across the room, because it was telling me that you allow people to treat you certain ways. And I I was like, "I, I didn't ask to be in this marriage. I didn't, I, I didn't ask him to abuse me, but what he was saying was that I was treating myself that way. And so therefore I was attracting situations that made it okay. And so that I had to now start unraveling my own belief systems, how I spoke to myself, all of those things and, and step into my own integrity. And that's where the impact came in, that I was able to uh, take control of my life.
0: Yes. I had a um, a session with uh, a shaman in training and she uh I guess took me back to uh one of the first times that I didn't feel safe in life. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe that was I was trying to remember maybe it was like 4 and my and I was she was helping me like what were my feelings there? Because like the issue at hand was I can't uh, sleep, you know, without my Ambien. And so I was wondering, and that hasn't been forever. I mean, I used to like people had problems sleeping. I could not grasp that. Like I had no problem whatsoever sleeping. I love sleep. But then um, it, the summer came where we had uh, Harvey. And I was living in a leaky pop-up camper in our driveway for a few months, so that and then um, my first husband uh he he committed suicide, mm-hmm. and so there were a lot of things going on, and I was like, you know I was just trying to like draw it back to them because that's when it first started, like not being able to to sleep and uh, she was like, "No, let's. I think this. Let's go further back. Like, when's the first time that you didn't feel as though uh, you ha- were had stability? You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh! I had to like go. I kept going further and further back, and I'm like, maybe it was like when I was four, and my mom was in her second marriage, and I think that's the first time that I had a sense of what family was." Like, okay, so we have a mom and a dad and a home. And that was the first time I I can consciously remember, like, okay, well, we're a family. And that didn't work out. I remember hearing, uh, you know, the fights between the two of them and and him leaving. And so uh, it was just going back to that four-year-old, April, and being like taking away that blaming aspect, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so maybe you did feel angry at your mom, but it wasn't your mom's fault that the marriage didn't work, you know. And in a way, it a lot of it didn't, you know. You ha you know, it's hard. It's easy to kind of blame her her second husband as well for because he supposedly left for a younger. Uh, prettier blonde who didn't have two kids you know Mm -hmm. so but taking on uh, two children in you know just the whole thing was not set up for success (laughs) (laughs) and like I can't blame anybody and and, then but the whole part of the healing process was process was me going back to that four-year-old and saying, Hey, you are safe. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you go from here. Your sense of home is going to be within yourself and you, you need to project that out and create home wherever you are. And if you can do that, then no one's going to be able to take um, that away from you by divorce, by moving, because we moved so much. Um, You know, you always have that sense of stability, that foundation. Um, So anyway, so that's where I got from that. But I also had, I don't know how we're getting away from this. (laughs) This is supposed to be your interview.
1: Oh, no. Inner child work is powerful. Keep going.
0: (laughs) So, So, okay. So I, but my, I had a gut reaction. I ended up having like this rubber band type of uh depression following this healing session with this inner child work because it ended up taking away i felt a lot of my ego story that it had built up right mm-hmm. around around my anger around who had done me wrong you know how i wasn't safe and how abuse had been allowed to happen to me in my life and you know there was a uh, more stuff so but if I really believed that I only had to look inward and to find that foundation that sense of safety, that sense of home, then like what was I supposed to do with this whole you know story I had constructed as to who I was if I if I'm always okay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then what do I do with those you know, the damaged parts of me, the parts of me that the story that was telling me I was broken, Right. you know, so that part, I experienced a death and it was, it was a a real depression following was supposed to be a very healing, (laughs) a healing session.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, you know, in, in doing energetic work or inner child work, um, you know, and, and unraveling the story, we no longer have a story to stand on. And and we feel a void. And yeah,
0: I was definitely
1: yeah, feeling it, that. This is what has defined me my whole life. And here I am being stripped of that story that has sustained me up until now. So right, now because what? I
0: was a warrior. I was, you know, that person that could, that was a fighter, you know, that was a survivor. I, Yeah, and so if I didn't have that story, you know, continue. <laughs> I interrupted again.
1: No, it, it's true. You know, because I, it's happened to me. There's a practice that I've learned from Heather Ash, and it's called the Warrior Heart Practice. It's her most recent book. And, again, I was I, I did that practice with her before it was even called Warrior Heart. Um, but, really, it's about stepping into your stories, you know, feeling into that emotion. Where is the emotion in your body? And then – Telling that story unfiltered, just letting it all out and then going into the truth room. What is the truth about the story? What are the facts? Um, and and then going into what's the intent that I want and then going back through. So I've set this intent for what I want as an outcome. Um, I'm going back to the truth and cleaning up my story and then checking in with my body to see where the emotion still resonates or has it dissipated and I find that practice is very helpful in, in helping unravel the stories because um, I have an intent to go through, right? So there's, uh, the, I am, I have now taken ownership of that story. Um, but when we just, when our story is just ripped off like a Band-Aid, um, it can leave that void. Like, what am I going to fill this with? And, and then we can start falling into victim or we can start falling into isolator. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna isolate myself until I know what my story is.
0: So yeah. How are our, how how could we most productively create or fill that void, I guess, until we have a new story? Because I feel like I kinda alluded to this before that I am stripping away a lot of the old story I've been telling myself and I'm starting to try and love and, you know, myself for all of me. Like you were saying in the workplace, all of someone is welcome. Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying to feel like the parts of me that are irritated or angry and all these things to accept them and love them into wholeness and, uh, yeah, but in the process, um, I don't know what the what the story is that I'm creating now.
1: Yeah, and and you know, um, I, th- I think really what it is for me is to live with an intent. What is my intent for my life, and it can change day to day and change, you know I use the new moon time to create an intent and then full moon to check in on my intent. What is it that I want to create and not falling into story? Um, and so I, I think that that's, you know, living at a purpose, having a purpose that, that you want to, to manifest or create. Um, because as co-creators, you know, of this life, we, we can control that. I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of different practices that I've incorporated are things like uh, dream boarding, creating a dream board and just watching what surfaces there. And, um, you mentioned, uh, ceremony and ritual earlier. So having ceremony and ritual around what your intentions are is really important. Um, just tapping into that creative side of yourself that, you know, what do I want to create? And, um, you know, living from that place instead of falling into story, so to speak.
0: So the, um, I know a lot of people, when you ask them, what their purpose is. I guess I can just speak from personal experience because that's the only way I, place I can speak from is that there have been times where I was so tunnel visioned that all I wanted, all I could have, all I had the energy to envision was getting through each day at work to bring home enough money to pay the bills and keep my family going. So, but, you know, I have this sense where usually there's a little bit more purpose that we can generate beyond that um, to bring life to those actions because we're still going to be going to work every day. We're still going to be bringing home a paycheck. We're still going to be paying bills to, for the family unit to work. Um, But if we can find some type of creative purpose you said co-creators if we can find some type of creativity to bring to that picture all of a sudden it can make it have more meaning and so how would someone who is feeling stuck in the day-to-day drudgery of things find a, a greater purpose in what they're doing I know you said like a dream board Mm-hmm. But I know maybe it's just like uh, what you see on TV, but dream boards often just include like a giant mansion that, you know, or a yacht or, <laughs> you know, a lot of materialistic things that mm-hmm. I don't want to say aren't likely to happen, but um, yeah, I, I don't know that that's going to be in everyone's future.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and yes, you can use a dream board to actually, um, to put those things, you know, whether it be the mansion or the yacht or, or, or whatever the case may be, uh, for me, it's about the energy that the dream board brings in. So I might fall upon words, um, you know, that, that I see on a dream board, um, words that I see in magazines that really mean a lot to me, or for me, it might also be art, and it's funny, one of my very first dream boards that I did uh, when I first started this work, I had put a, a pair of flip flops on there. Uh, you know, the flip flops that make imprints on sand? Mm-hmm. And so the, the words were love and uh, love, and I forgot what the other word was, but they were love, basically. And when I went back to look at that dream board, you know, after some time, it was so funny to me that I actually had acquired a pair of flip-flops like that. And I was really looking for the energy behind what I was wanting to manifest that. That was the energy that I wanted, but I had manifested the flip-flops themselves. So, uh, and not even knowingly I, it was, it was just comical to me. Um, but what I find with dream boarding is that um, it's a creative outlet just to, and sometimes you don't even know why you're putting certain pictures on there. I know I've put different spices on there on a recent dream board. I, and I was like, I don't know why I'm putting these spices on there, but okay. But now suddenly during COVID, I've I've learned to, to create different curry dishes. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. Spices go into curry. So I, I get that. Um, so it's just being... It, being with it on a different plane, not so much the materialistic, although you can incorporate that if you wish to do so. Uh, but really, seeing what what is drawn to you could be a chair that you're drawn to, and and oh, that that pattern ends up you end up having that pattern as a bedspread or something like that. Um, not necessarily about just material items, but more energetic is what I'm feeling and sensing, and what I've noticed.
0: So if someone is interested in your, um, your work shaman, uh, website and what you do there, and they are the person at the bottom of the totem pole, how would they go about, I mean, do they just, uh, set that as their intention and wish the universe to bring that (laughs) to their, uh, their corporation's, um, attention or do they how would you suggest that someone from the bottom up you know introduce some of these practices
1: yeah um you, you know it's about influence and so um you know maybe sharing with one of your leadership saying you know I've been want- I've been looking at coaching and I found a coach that that helps helps uh build leaders would you be willing to sponsor me for this? Some, some companies will sponsor uh, coaching for their employees. And uh, more you'll, you're gonna start seeing more and more companies do this, um, especially as they're trying to retain talent and trying to grow new leaders in organizations. I think organizations are starting to find themselves being behind the eight ball and um, in, in, um, in cultivating leaders from within. They're losing a lot of organic knowledge and talent that they've built from within. And if they want to start uh, retaining some of this talent, they're going to need to cultivate those skills and um, whether it be through career progression or through um, just developing leaders within. Um, So if you feel like you're one of those people, asking your employer to maybe provide, you know, sponsor you for coaching program to help you cultivate some of those skills that will help develop you into that next level of leadership. Uh, And and it could be a partnership where all three of us come together to determine what the intention is or what the outcome is that they want from the coaching, and then they sponsor it. Some some, uh, individuals may want to do their own coaching sessions with me without anybody knowing, and that's also um, a, a possibility. And then also sharing the workplace shaman.com with your leaders and uh, see if it resonates with them and, and wanting to incorporate any team, team building or even firewalking for that matter.
0: Well, let's go to uh, a dream you said that you had.
1: Yeah. So last night I had this, well, it's probably early this morning um, it was an odd dream i was a wife in the dream and the husband had somehow killed me so to speak and but i was still alive and in that dream that husband was kind of uh brutal but he also the the police saw, came in and took him away or punished him at first and then set him free but took it was just really odd and so eventually that husband went away, but then uh, it was like a monster came in and I had a suitcase for some reason. And when that monster came in, he was, he was coming after me thinking I was the husband, but I was trying to hide from him. And he kept saying, no, you're the one, you're the one. And I had gone into the bathroom, which had this huge window in the door, um, which made me feel like I was constantly being watched, even in the bathroom. And I took took the suitcase that I had, and for some reason it felt dirty or diseased or something, but I took it with me anyway into that bathroom. And I was able to shut that monster out, even though the monster was still watching me through the window. And then I woke up, and I was like, well, why didn't I shut the blind? It looked like there was a blind. And it was just so startling. (laughs) I was like, where did this come from? Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so I may... (laughs) <laughs> like I said, put in my, my two cents afterwards, after I've had a chance to think about it a little bit more, but, um, I just from listening to you talk, it seemed as though the divorce was a giant uh, thing in your life. Yeah. you know, It was, uh, you were in the marriage for a long time mm-hmm. and you had, uh, you know, a lot of judgment directed at you from both his family and your family. And I, I only totally my youngest
1: that. daughter, <laughs> even my youngest daughter. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I've, I've, I've always cut cords and really d- tried to do a lot in healing around that relationship because it was ugly, um, the divorce itself. But at the same time, I've also gone in and done a lot of healing ancestral As far as um, a lot of the women in my family, as far as grandparents, the great grandparents, uh, they were also in abusive relationships and doing healing with the ancestors and then healing forward. So the shamans say that anytime you set out to do healing like that, you heal seven generations back and then seven generations forward. And I feel like um, I've been a big part of the matriarch in healing a lot of, a, a lot of the wounded relationships in our family. And so that may have something to do with it.
0: Yeah. So I felt like when um, he kills you, uh, he is killing a version of you, um, the version that you knew. Um, but as you, you know, in symbol, you, in, in life, you continued to live, even though that that was the, ending of a relationship of uh, the new of the you that you knew and the police officers that came and took him away um that shows to me like the the it was that there's a a civil um uh, an element you know so there was it was an official divorce like the government was involved and said you know this is over you know the the uh, decree of divorce it's final and so that ended that part of it and he's gone but the part of you that continues to to live uh, you know you are attacked by this monster and uh, it's pursuing you and I'm thinking just because uh, one part of your life is dead it's over um, that doesn't mean that the feelings are are over, that the judgment's over, you know, there's still a lot of even like your self criticism, like, what did I, what did I do to uh, keep this cycle going? You know, what could I have done differently? Blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, there's this monster of both family and self judgment that's, uh, you know, following you. And you're like trying to point the finger like, no, it's not me. You're looking for my husband. It's him. You know, he's the cause. He's the reason. And but yet it keeps pursuing you. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you take uh, safety and you find safety and security in this bathroom, which um, from other dream interpretations I've listened to and read, the bathroom is Symbolizes uh, the place of security and intimacy because that's where we learn where we have privacy from the youngest age. Like, if you want quiet or to be alone, that's where you go as you go into a bathroom. So, that's where you have like this sense of safety or intimacy. Um, and so, I th- you know, you withdraw into this very heart centered, you know, place where you have to. Um, you know ref you know find yourself
1: again
0: mm-hmm. so I don't know that's <laughs> that's my take on this spot. I would have to probably think about it some more in the symbols but
1: yeah, very interesting yeah that that that, that it does resonate um because you know you mentioned the bathroom being a place of sol- solstice, solace um. I can remember those years that I told you that I would go and seek love. What is love? What is love? Um, The majority of the time where I went to seek was in the bathroom Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I I would sit on the floor in the bathroom and just sit and meditate on what is love? What is love? What is love? And um, yeah. So so that definitely resonates with me.
0: And what is love? Love is us, right
1: yeah the the, the essence of our core, the being, the inner who you know it's it's that spiritual being having the human experience we're all created from love
0: I want to thank you for sharing yourself for sharing love with me today, and you know. Honoring me in my, my small podcast here with your, your presence and giving me what looks to be almost two hours of your time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much um, for doing this and, um, you know, inspiring me, you know, your podcast really has inspired me and I'm excited to see where it leads.
0: Well, in this uh, next to last segment, uh, we talk about your social presence. So how can people find out more about you and follow what you're making in your own sandbox?
1: In my own sandbox. So I do have my coachadeli.com website. Um, that, that's more for personal, individual um, life coaching uh, with warrior goddesses and, and, and other women. I prefer to work with women and helping empower them uh the workplace shaman of course is uh is up and running and I definitely look forward to hearing any stories that anybody has to share if anybody wants to reach out and contact contact me you can definitely do it through the workplace.com i mean the workplace shaman.com and i am on linkedin under adeli morellas facebook is also um, i'm under adeli morellas and also coach adeli um coach adeli you can contact me through instagram and facebook um yeah, and then also, you know, if, if you're into coloring, you definitely check out um, Unchaining Picasso on Amazon.com. Uh, you can also type in my name and I'll come up as that, that author or artist for that book.
0: I love how in the Lifestylist podcast, uh, Luke's story ends his pods asking his guests this question as uh, so we're including it in ours. Um, who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you might share with our audience that they could go research and also learn from?
1: Three. Can I give you four?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So
1: three authors, three teachers, actually four, and and I'm going to lump a few together. So the Reese family really has been impactful that hadn't been for them and the four agreements and some of their books uh, I probably would not have found Heather Ashamara because they, Heather Ash is a direct a, a direct student of theirs for oh my about 35 years now. So Heather Ash, of course, has been very influential in my life, and having worked with her for many many years now. Corinne um, Grillo she is the angel alchemist she's um, hilarious if you ever have a chance to watch her her stuff um, just uh, heads up she does drop the f-bomb quite a bit <laughs> so you know if you're offended by things like that she may not be somebody that you resonate with but um, I-, I love her energy work and she does a lot with angels so um, she's really great and through her I've also met DK Brainerd and DK is an astrologer and channeler He's really um, he, he's he's just a neat neat guy, musician, just lives life um, authentic authentic out of authenticity and is just a heart uh, heart person that you know he's got an awesome balance of the male and feminine energy and he, he's just a really great guy so those are the ones that I uh, resonate with.
0: Adele, again, thank you so much. And I am looking forward to um, probably catching up with you in the future and um, maybe even interviewing your daughter about what uh, your oldest daughter about what kind of work, uh, you know, she's doing in this world uh, with her music.
1: I'm sure she'd love that. She would really love that. Yeah. And if you want to check her out, she is Emmy, E-M-M-E-E. Last name L-I-C-I-R, Emmy Um, One of her songs, May the Road Rise. Um, she's got a lot of uh, – check out her YouTube channel. She's got quite a bit of covers there and then several of her own personal songs that she's written.
0: Okay. And then I think we could probably do uh, an entire podcast episode just on the parenting part of it. Because I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love because- to. And- uh, I have a, I have a two-year-old daughter, and I just feel like with you having two girls that are older, you've probably gone, you know, done, been there, done that with a lot of this stuff that, uh, I have questions about. So yeah,
1: yeah. Let's let me know when you want to do that. I'm happy to.
0: Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch. Sounds
1: great. Thank you. Bye, Adele. Bye.